you know, I was having the sonogram done, they were preparing to do biopsy, and the technician called the doctor in, and then the doctor called another doctor in. So the room fills up, there's like three or four of them in there, and then they look at me and they say, what, what have you been doing? And I say, I say, what? And it, well, it's a miracle. A miracle has occurred. There's nothing. I don't have this multinodular thyroidism, these nodules that were throughout my entire neck for 15 years are gone. There's nothing. The whole thing is cleaned up. There's nothing. There. And I said, well, are we biopsying? There's nothing to biopsy. That was my own personal come to Jesus moment. As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice. Through their personal stories, you'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey Posse, it's your host, Chrissy Benson. Believe it or not, today's episode marks the one year anniversary of the Vegan Posse. If you love being part of the Posse, help spread the word by liking this podcast, subscribing, and sharing it with everyone you know. And if you're looking for the perfect holiday gift for your book-loving friends, check out my novel, Marrying Myself, by me, Christine Melanie Benson. Known as the anti-romance romance with the vegan twist, it's been featured in Veg News Magazine and on Chef AJ Live. It's available on Amazon and everywhere else. Or you can order a personalized signed copy through my website, christinemelaniebenson.com. But more than anything, Know that during this holiday season, you are not alone. You've got a posse. Thanks, guys. Now, on to our episode. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes its first mother-daughter duo. Zina Znayenko and her daughter, Tatiana, or Tati Znayenko-Miller, are both longtime vegans and living examples of the power of plant-based eating. After reading the book, Diet for a New America, Zena became an ethical vegan, but she remained a yo-yo dieter and binge eater, gaining and losing the same 50 pounds for almost a decade. Her brilliant daughter, Tati, stumbled upon the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine Kickstart program, which they did together. Subsequently, Zena finally achieved and has maintained a full 100-pound weight loss. She now works as an educator for plant-powered Metro New York. Tati now works for PCRM as a clinical research specialist, and she's pursuing a doctoral degree in preventive care at Loma Linda University. In this super special episode, Zena and Tati discuss their overlapping vegan journeys, which include their own respective real-life medical miracles. I'll let them tell the stories. Zena and Tati, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? Giddy up. We're ready. We sure are. Yeah, it's great to be with you today, Chrissy. Wonderful. Well, it's so, so amazing to have you. We've never had a mother-daughter team on the show. So have, have the two of you always been close? 
I mean, yeah, my earliest memories are, are of my mom being my best friend. Um, I, I think we have always had such consistent aligned interests that it's just been a natural um, synchronicity, I guess, between us. Um, but Ma, I'll let you add anything you want to add to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we, you know, we, we have always been really close and we, um, um, I, I was an only child. And so I was super close, am still super close to my mom. And um, so yeah, along came Tatiana and from the get go, we were kind of a duo. Um, but yeah, but synchronicity, it's a really good word because I think, you know, especially on our vegan journey, I think, you know, community and having a posse is so important, right? Without that, I, I, you know, as I will share my personal story, you know, with veganism, it became so much easier once I had adult Tati in my corner, in the same Aww. corner, like encouraging me, like uh, just, you know, just navigating through, you know, the challenges. It's tough to be, uh, especially, you know, 30 years ago, it was super tough to be vegan. Right, right. So it, it sounds like you two sort of evolved naturally from, you know, mother daughter to as adults becoming friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, as as a kid, um, my parents were, were very uh, concerned about me excelling in everything that I did. And I think that that could sometimes come off as helicopter parenting, but I'm, I'm grateful for it now because, um, you know, like excellence was the standard. And as a function of that, like I've gotten to where I am professionally and academically. Um, but I, I think as, as, as I grew up and as I recognized that that was coming from a place of love and you just wanting me to see, or you, you wanting to see me do what I could to the best of my ability in the world, um, the, any sort of like discontent that I felt surrounding that was ameliorated. So yeah put, put Tati, Tati, she, I think you know we always call ourselves like the you know the the Chinese parents you know like that that epitome of the Asian parent like Chinese mama tiger mama and tiger papa and not intentionally this was before we understood evolutionary psychology before Doug Lyle came into our life and said just you know let them go let them do their thing <laughs> that's the way but yeah so so poor Tati and I think you know my son also were were privy to um some uh rather you know um I don't know if we were robustly um difficult but we were we thought we were like really easygoing because we were <laughs> you know, taking we were traveling a lot and um but um but we were doing things like kind of off the beaten path so maybe that kind of tempered things we were you know we were homeschooling we started homeschooling I don't know if you know that Chrissy but no I did not know that yeah. Tatiana at the age of um I guess you were going into seventh seventh was it eighth grade eighth grade yeah eighth grade yeah. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah she decided that that we needed to do the homeschooling thing and oh Tati you decided that yeah I, decided that. I was not happy with the quality of my education <laughs> oh, she really yeah, wow. I, I remember coming home one day and telling my parents that I didn't want to go to school anymore uh, because I wasn't getting anything from it. And I was sick of the social dynamics, you know, high school, I was about to enter high school and, um, and that transition, I think, you know, kids are tough on each other. And it was a lot of drama, a lot of girls crying in the bathrooms during lunch, like it, 
it just did not serve, you know? And so I remember coming home and um, I had had this conversation with my best friend at the time, Jamie, and we had decided that we did not want to go to this school anymore and that our parents were going to homeschool us. And, you know, yeah. like we, we, I think we brought you a curriculum mom and said like, Hey, these are our options. And, um, and yeah. And then next year we were homeschooled. So. Yeah. So your, your best friend's parents went along with it too. They did. They did briefly. Um, and then they actually moved back overseas. So unfortunately, um, yeah, we weren't homeschooled together anymore, but. <laughs> so were you homeschooled for the, for your high school years? I was, yeah. So um, for the first two years of high school, my parents homeschooled me and we were members of a co-op that was local to our area. Um, and then they dual enrolled me in community college. So I started taking college classes, I guess, my sophomore year. Um, and at the time I was pre-med, so um, I was taking things like bio and it was wonderful. You know, it was a great experience for me. <laughs> You're clearly an overachiever by nature. I don't think it was just due to your parents. I learned from the best. My parents are <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so did the quality of your education improve when you were homeschooled? It did. Absolutely. <laughs> I was very happy. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I uh, yeah, I think it was very, um, you know, it was it was indeed serendipitous because we were not feeling we had had a fantastic Montessori school, um, yeah. Montessori school education and the school had um, kind of a crisis and um, had closed down. And so then at that point, we were searching for um, for what to do next. So she came right at the right time. And of course, in North Carolina, homeschooling is like a very normal thing. So, um, you know, it really was a normal thing. And we got the best of, it was really interesting because this co-op that we were part of was a part of a um, kind of a more religious-based co-op, but that was also tempered. So we took classes there, but we also took classes in the super like hippy dippy climate. We're studying the environment. There was like two schools of thought and it was super interesting to really experience both you know, the pros and the cons, like there was cost benefit in both places, but, um, right. But, but it was fun. It was fun. And, and of course my son, you know, he was like, so she was in eighth grade. And so this wasn't quite as scary, but Tad was homeschooled from, I want to say first grade. Yeah. Yeah. From first really. grade. Yeah. Wow. So second grade, maybe it was second grade, but, um, but we did get to do things that you would never, you know, get to do in a normal school system, like taking a whole year off and doing robotics. We did robotics with a NASA first robotics program. So we were doing like, you know, interesting stuff. And, um, and we were trying, you know, we were kind of taking the vegan, vegan ups and downs, not linear journey with veganism. Um, so, um, well, I think exposure to all those different environments was really seminal, at least for me in, um, in enabling me to determine what I liked and what I didn't like and stand mm -hmm. strong when it came to defending that, you know, like uh, exposure to a very like progressive versus more conservative educational environment allowed me to pick and choose what I liked from each and then go into the other environment and say like, hey, this is this is what I think, you know, like this is so um, as as I look at my, you know, like my professional trajectory and and being vegan and working in the plant-based medicine space, um, that's been so important, you know, to be able to stand strong when it comes to talking to people who are advocating for like the use of pharmaceuticals and say, hey, there is another way and, and here's the evidence and yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, this is fascinating. I did not know <laughs> know this about you and your backgrounds. And just Xena on your end, that sounds like a whole lot to take on just you know, to suddenly one day start homeschooling both your kids. Um, but why don't we backtrack a little bit and get some get some history? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you both some questions separately, and then we can, you know, return to the more conversational style. Um, so Zena, first of all, I'd just like to um, touch on the fact that just like my mother, Motria, you're a first generation Ukrainian American. So how did you first end up coming to the U.S.? Well, so I, um, I was born in the United States. So I'm a first generation American, Ukrainian. Oh, you were born in the United States. Right. Okay, okay. I, I was that. born. Yeah. So, so my mom and my dad, you know, they came over after the war. And they both settled. Like I think my mother came in '49. Um, she came to um, to Hayward, California. So she uh, that's that's where she started her journey. Um, and then she met my dad in New York. And so you know, picture this. You know, it's it's New York City. You know, I'm growing up in the '70s. I'm born into a household that is. Um, I, I don't speak any English. My parents don't teach me English. They don't think it's necessary to teach me English. So I, my first language is Ukrainian and um, I'm an only child. Paternal grandparents are raising me. Its origin story is West 116th Street, which is Columbia University. I know you know that area really well. Um, and it was talking about like a Stone Age village. It was such a beautiful, like people always ask me like, my goodness, it must have been so difficult to grow up in New York City. But in the 70s, it was really charming. It was kind of magical even, you know, that we had a small neighborhood. It was extremely diverse. There's a lot of academics, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists. Um, and I walked to my school two blocks. I walked to music school three blocks. My father worked across the street from um, from my school. I attended my school for 12 years. You know, isn't that crazy? Like little house in the prairie. It's like this homesteading kind of idea. Um, so it was really neat. And, um, and our, our food system was really simple. We ate, um, I think we ate a very, I mean, it was kind of like that, the, a lot of Ukrainian traditional foods that I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, the vareneke, pierogies, hulubtsi, cabbage rolls, um, a lot of, a lot of grains, the whole grains, like wheat grains, herachina, kasha, which is like a really toasty whole grain, um, and rice, and um, we did eat meat, but very infrequently, mm. um, and we ate fish. Um, and my mother, actually, I remember my mother had a, um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a, like, she would grind her own beef. If, like, if we had meat, which was very infrequently, yeah. she would buy it from a butcher shop, a Ukrainian butcher shop downtown, bring it up, grind it. And, um, so I remember this, this was like <laughs> seeing beef being ground, like, and going to the butcher shop. It was a, it was a, you know, I loved animals. I had, I was an only child. My cat was like my brother, you know? And um, I think this was like one of the first moments of like thinking, this isn't right. Like we're grinding food and turning it into little cutlets. Like we didn't call them hamburgers. They were cutlets, you know? Um, 
but um, but I my very very first real aha moment was um, um, so in New York, PETA PETA was really active, right? And um, they were always putting their pamphlets out. So I remember coming back actually from the butcher shop with my mom on the subway, sitting on the subway and getting a PETA pamphlet from someone. And, you know, they were very, um, you know, they were graphic. They were, it was, well, it was what year was this, would you say? Like, how old I, were you? So I would say mid seventies, like may, I was probably five, uh, no, maybe I was six or seven. I was oh, six you were seven. a kid. You were I was little. Kid. Yeah, wow. I was really little. And so, but my first, you know, so I, we would see these PETA pamphlets and we, you know, and I, and I remember my mother just grabbing it from me. And what I saw was, you know, these very graphic photographs of these animals. And so my, my, what my brain told me at that moment was that PETA was like, I didn't understand PETA was trying to save the animals. Oh. <laughs> I thought they were some kind of, you know, they, they had like a perverse incentive, like that they, I had no idea and nobody would tell me otherwise. Huh. Like we had no idea that, like, I, I just, I didn't know, I, I guess you just don't know what you don't know, right? And it was, you know, it, it, this whole vegan thing was considered outre, although I knew vegetarians, but, um, but I, you know, I remember, um, I, so I was just listening to your, um, just huge kudos on Vegan Posse. I love the stories. I love hearing um, people's journeys, but then also like the little tidbits of stories. And you told a story recently about your little vegan um, serendipity moment in Madison Square Garden, where you defaced the poster it was grand central. Oh, grand, grand central grand central yeah. grand central i remember those posters i remember those posters and i remember people writing liar on them like big red <laughs> liar you know and um so this i just remembered when you were when i was listening to to you know the posse a couple of the last week you know but um so you know so anyway so little things were going off in my head that something was amiss here, but, um, but I didn't know, I just didn't know, you know, and, um, and so. But you did, you did on some level, obviously, because. Yeah, yeah I think, I think the, you know, it's, and I, and I sit with this to this day, because even when I became really um, awakened to veganism, I, um, it, it was, I still had a lot of cognitive dissonance, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I hear that, like, when you talk to, you know, so many people in the posse, in the community, it's such a, it's, it's comfort and it's sadness and it's, um, and it's, it's all those things to, you know, to understand that we all have kind of shared that. I mean, with some exceptions, some people get it, you know, Alan Goldhammer got it when he was five, right? And he's, he did what he needed to do. But um, it, uh, I'm sorry that I, um, I, I guess I'm sorry about not doing it sooner, as perhaps we all are. So when, when did you make the leap into veganism? So, so I made the leap when I, okay, so again, just to back up for a second, uh, my story comes from disordered eating. Disordered eating, 80s, Oprah, Dr. Phil, everybody's on a diet, Dr. Oz, you know, um, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I'm yo-yo dieting. 
up and down, up and down, um, getting heavier and heavier and heavier um, when I'm pregnant with Tatiana. So I'm um, in my mid twenties. I come across um, John Robbins book, you know, Diet for a New America. And that was, and I, that was like my, that was a huge, you know, aha moment. And so I decide, you know, I'm going vegan. So, you know, this was like 30 years ago. It was tricky. It was expensive. The pressure from the system was enormous. Like my husband was not on board yet. Our physicians, I had a physician who was not an American. He was a, a Brazilian doctor. He was extremely interested in holistic medicine and integrative medicine, we would call it, right? But, oh no, you're giving your child rice milk. She's gonna die. Where does she get her protein? <laughs> so it was, so there was a lot of pressure. And so it wasn't clean. It was vegan for a while, then kind of going into vegetarianism. And mm -hmm. um, so, but, but, you know, it was our starting point. And so, yeah. you know, and she grew up, you know, I think she grew up a lot healthier than I did because she didn't have at least the dairy. Like we didn't have the heavy dairy component Right. You know, in our, in our diet. So whereas I was like always sick with allergies, I was sick with, you know, I had horrible cystic acne throughout my life. You know, mm. just anytime I have dairy exposure, that would, you know, flare up. And um, yeah, so this one was kind of born into the vegan household, but then, yeah, it got a little rocky. We went up and down. And so, um, so Tati, what was that like for you growing up in this vegan household? Do you, do you remember yeah. the switch? I do. I do. So I remember loving rice milk, number one. Um, I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my go-to. Um, but I also, yeah, I remember the switch and I remember, um, I remember taking a lot of flack for lack of a better word from our, um, our community, because, um, again, like at that time, veganism was not as popularized as it is now. And so things like, oh, you know, like your child's not getting enough protein um, were, were heavily propagated ideas. And, um, and and that was challenging, I think, you know, especially for my parents. Um, we've always been a family that's not afraid to go against the fringe. Um, but of course, you do like assume certain like liabilities when you do that. And, um, and I think just growing up, especially in a neighborhood where everyone was really consuming a standard American diet. I mean, my friends to this day are considering or consuming standard American diets um, was really challenging. You know, um, one memory I have like as a kid is of going to, you know, like cookouts at friends' houses. And it's like, you know, you have your burgers, your hot dogs and wanting other options, but, you know, not having them be available. So. So did you, how old were you when, when this transition happened in your household? Yeah, I don't remember, Mom. Do you remember how old I was? Um, well, no, I remember because I was pregnant with you, so you were not old at all. You were just yeah. still. Oh, you know, so still you were essentially vitro. born into it. Yeah. She was born into a vegan household. However, it wasn't. Uh, you know, it, it was. We we had our ups and our downs. Yeah. So um, there was. You know, we were vegetarian a lot. Um, and yeah, it was very um, hybridized. Yeah, it was. It was. So it was. It was. Um, it just, I think I still had a tremendous amount of, I, I don't want to say cognitive dissonance, but it was there at some level. It was, there was pressure. And I was, you know, we were, hmm. as we are today, we're so busy today. You know, we're always busy and life yeah. when you have kids becomes just a wild ride. And but it sounds, it sounds like you read this book, you read Diet for New America and you were, you were sold to the extent that it sounds like you didn't even question whether your daughter would be vegan. 
because no, I, for a lot of a lot of people who go vegan don't you know don't decide to you know implement veganism in the whole household do you remember well, that yeah, decision i do remember so i you know i came from um again i was really really super absorbed in diet culture so i had read every single book i had you know anything that came out that had to do with losing weight this was my obsession right so prior to um prior to diet for new america i was super interested in um, i had read a book called fit for life by harvey and marilyn diamond and they were um, proponents of natural hygiene. So I had actually discovered natural hygiene before this. Now they didn't, they didn't say go vegan in those words, but I was doing uh, fasting. I was always fascinated with fasting, going back to high school when everybody was doing the opti fast, you know, and oh, I mean, and I was a slim high school kid. I didn't need to do opti fast, but I was doing opti fast. What so, is, I don't know what opti fast is. It's like that thing that Oprah did when she lost her 40 pounds. It's a liquid diet. Oh, like slim fast or something? Exactly. Slim fast was what came out in the grocery stores in response to, I think it was in response to Oprah. Like everything was in response to Oprah. (laughs) Oprah did it and they sold it. So yeah, so I had done liquid fasting like for 12 days and you know, lost weight. Again, I was a very slim athletic youngster. So this was like insanity, but this is, this is what we were doing, you know? And um, so, yeah, so I, so when I, when I was, when I read Fit for Life, I was experimenting with raw, uh, raw food. Uh, Now I I was still eating um, like a healthy protein, right? Like I was having some fish with that, but um, I was doing a lot of raw and I, um, had become in the back of the Fit for Life book, I found a college called Clayton College of Natural Health, which was a a university that was out of Alabama and um, they were proponents of natural hygiene. And so I actually, you know, I had, um, you know, so I'd already done graduate work in business at NC State here, you know, and uh, this was just like a side, total side gig. I enroll in this, master's and doctorate program at Clayton College. Now this is way before the internet. We're not talking about like a hybrid education. You're talking writing and mailing back and forth. <laughs> and so Amazing. I'm, I'm really uh, just immersed into the idea of holistic, holistic models, right? Integrative medicine, you know, in its, in its, uh, in its, uh, you know, in its inception, you know? And um, so that's the, that was the climate where I then found Diet for a New America. And then that was like I a whole, whole nother level. But I was already so into the idea of like, you know, like Andrew Weil and spontaneous healing, you know, Dr. Sarno, who my mother had visited when she had her slipped discs. And he was all about like mind over matter with back pain and all these interesting models. So that was, you know, yeah. So again, I was kind of walking my own walk way over there, but I didn't have any friends. Mm. People thought I was, you know, I had, one, I had one friend who was a, um, she was a proponent of plant spirit medicine. So I had a plant spirit medicine gal who was kind of, you know, a kook like me. And the two of us were, um, were doing the vegan thing. But um, what, what is plant spirit medicine? Is that the same as like plant-based or is yeah, it no. totally so, different? Yeah. Plant spirit medicine is totally different. It is, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ancient, um, going back to like indigenous cultures, this belief that uh, plants have spirits, 
And so it's a communication, it's, it's, you know, I think like, um, you know, in, in like, you know, in, in meditation and mindfulness, when we do things like forest bathing, that would probably be the closest kind of easy interpretation of what plant spirit medicine is all about. Mm. But um, it's talking to the spirits of the plants, like a lot of American um, Indian uh, uh, people from that background would be very much, um, you know, that would be part of their their um, history and, but from all over the world. So this was, so my girlfriend, Lori, who is, a, who is absolutely cool to this day, a practitioner and part of a, you know, fire community, but, um, but, you know, but this was like a odd thing. And I was also an odd thing. I wasn't, into, <laughs> but I was into veganism and that was odd, but, um, but yeah. What, what an interesting story. So how was your health throughout all of this, you know, this extended period of time, you know, doing the grad program at Clayton and New America. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, amongst the many, many different, uh, you know, I come from academics. So I have a little bit of an obsession with being enrolled in university <laughs> graduate programs. There's always something going on. But um, so my health was, um, again, not something I really thought about. I was very mindful of you know, up and down a hundred pounds, you know, I'm, I'm yo-yo dieting. I'm, um, my, my greatest weight after both my kids was a hundred pounds more than I am today. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I, um, but I, but my health was problematic. You know, I had suffered from acne, which was perhaps more superficial. I had really bad allergies. I had menorrhagia, which is, um, excessive bleeding, menstrual bleeding. And, um, it was, and so the doctors wanted to put me on um, birth control pills. And um, so I knew from experience with birth control pills in college that they, I felt crappy when I took the pill. Like I had, you know, just really, like I knew side effects, like I was not gonna take that to regulate my, my cycle, but my cycle was a disaster. I had 15 day periods and then I would have a wow. couple days off and I would have 15 day periods again. And, um, and this only, was eating vegan or not eating? Yes. Vegan? So I was a fat, I was a fat vegan. Yeah. This was eating vegan, vegetarian. Um, and then, okay. So now I have anemia, really bad anemia. I have iodine deficiencies. My doctors are whacking me, you know, over the head that, oh, you need to eat fish. You need to at least eat fish. You have to get, you know, your iod, you've got to get your iron. Right. So, so I am, I'm doing that because I, I don't know any, I've just, I think, well, uh, what can I do to fix my health, right? So that's where it started. And then um, in, a, in about 2010, I think, I was diagnosed with um, celiac disease. So oh, wow. diagnosed with celiac disease and, um, and because of the problems that I was having with that, I uh, was uh, put through a lot of different diagnostics. And then at, at um, a, a couple years down the line, this is when I have a run-in. And this is, so meanwhile, Tati's an adult. We're in Washington, DC. We are now getting very close to the Barnard Center, which has just opened up and we know about it. Um, but so I have, you know, it's I think 2014, 2015, I have these, um, this best of times, worst of times health crisis. I go through, um, I have I have a, a, a colonoscopy and I have um, carpet lesions, carpet um, polyps are discovered that are cancerous. 
So, um, so those are removed. Um, they're very early stage. I don't have to do any extra, no chemo, no radiation, nothing like that. Um, simultaneously, I um, have um, for a decade previously had really bad multi-nodular thyroidism. And so I have my thyroid nodules yearly um, biopsied and I go for sonograms. And so, you know, we're living in DC, I'm here in Raleigh, I go for my sonogram, they do a biopsy and they discover, um, uh, you know, the, the thyroid uh, nodules are rated using this thing called Bethesda categories. So the Bethesda category had, you know, had gone to a point where the, the risk of having a, a much more aggressive cancer was, um, was uh, something that they were concerned about. So they wanted to remove my, my thyroid. Oh my um, goodness. So you have a was, lot going on. Yes, there's a lot going on. Meanwhile, Tati decides to enroll us in a um, jumpstart. No, it wasn't a jumpstart. What did they call it at, at PCR? Yeah, I think they called it a kickstart. It was kickstart. like a weekend. Yeah. Um, they, they would rent out a room in a hotel, like a, a conference room. And it was essentially just an immersion into what a low-fat plant-based diet looked like. So. so it was a live kickstart because I know, so for people listening who aren't familiar, um, we're talking about the physicians committee for responsible medicine, which was headed by, uh, Dr. Neil Bernard, which was the center that Zena was referring to. So I, I know that these days they have an online kickstart program, but it sounds like there was a live program that you guys want to yeah so our our online program is actually based on um our, our in-person program and so um we would implement these programs and get you know around 200 people and um and the thought was how do we reach a larger audience and so um our amazing digital team at uh, pcrm basically translated this program that we'd implemented in real life into an online program that anyone can access for free now online amazing so P tati you now work for pcrm I do. Yeah. So I'm a clinical research specialist at PCRM celebrating three years this year. So amazing. Amazing. So what prompted you to enroll you and your mom in that course? Yeah. So I was also experiencing health issues. So I had always followed this hybrid vegan diet. You know, um, I was an unhealthy vegan, I think, and, um, I was experiencing hormonal issues. So, um, I remember at prior to the, us enrolling in this program, um, I had been experiencing amenorrhea, so I wasn't getting a normal period. And I'm a young, viable woman, you know, I'm healthy, I'm quote unquote healthy, um, right. and I'm not getting a period. And Opposite uh, of your mom, your mom was having the 15 day periods in your exactly, exactly. So we're like two ends of the spectrum. And I remember going to an OBGYN and just being concerned, you know, saying like, I know that this is, um, a vital health, like it's a, a health marker, your period as a woman. And um, were you really, really thin? I wasn't, I wasn't super thin, you know, I was, um, I was thin, but I had enough fat on my body to warrant getting a period. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I knew something else had to be off and I went into this OBGYN and I remember sitting down with him and he said, okay, we're going to put you on Clomid, which is a fertility medication. And, um, and you'll have to be on this, you know, until you actually want to have kids. And in that, at that time I was in my early twenties. So I wasn't really, I wasn't thinking about having kids or wanting to be on a medication for the next 10, 20 years of my life. And I remember just being so, um, number one scared, but also, um, I, I think that there was some, some semblance of shame, you know, like I, I'm mm -hmm. not capable of regulating my own body. And I felt like in that moment, my autonomy had been stripped from me. And so, um, in trying to 
to, to figure out what to do next, I came across this program. And, and luckily, my mom, who's been my partner in really all things throughout my life, um, was willing to do it with me. And so we did. So, so what was that program like? It was amazing. So um, it was essentially um, this combination of didactic and experiential activities throughout the day. So there were things like lectures on why following a vegan diet is so important, what a vegan diet actually means, um, how to implement in your daily life, uh, in conjunction with things like, you know, cooking demonstrations. I remember we made overnight oats. Yes, you can chili. So like frozen corn, a little can of chili, um, beans, and and it was wonderful. And I remember just coming home from that weekend. And at the time I was living with my parents and just being so amped up about starting this diet together and, and going to the grocery store, mom, and just being in awe of all the products. And, <laughs> and one thing that I think is so, is so freeing about the PCRM model. So a PCRM advocates for a low fat plant-based diet um, is that we say that you can really eat calories um, to, to like ad libitum. So until you're full to satiation and um, and that was really freeing for me as, as a young woman who had always thought about, well, I don't want to eat too much, you know, cause I don't want to put weight on and, and recognizing that as long as you keep your fat lower, you can really eat until, until you're full and, and not gain weight and uh, maintain a healthy weight. So, yeah. That, that was huge for me as well. I just yeah. getting away from the portion control mindset to just focusing on, on the actual foods I was eating was just okay. a game changer, total game changer. And for me, even, you know, cause I, I, I'm a, I have a hearty appetite and I like, I like quantity. So what I realized too, is even eating to the point, you know, beyond, beyond being full, you know, <laughs> beyond what I actually needed still, um, still wasn't problematic. So absolutely. Yeah. And it wasn't triggering and it was, um, yeah, it, it's freeing, you know, you like, it feels like you're actually able to connect once again with your body and actually fulfill your own needs and, um, and regain autonomy. So this, this PCRM way of eating was, did that represent a, an enormous shift from how you guys were eating prior to that just as vegans? It, it did. It did because it was the idea that, um, you know, these highly refined processed foods um, needed to not be a part of, of, of the diet. And that was, you know, for me as someone who struggled with disordered eating, um, you know, it, it had never occurred to me that there was food that you could eat. Again, as Tati said, <laughs> at, at libitum, you could eat. And I'm a volume eater too. Like my salad bowl is the size of like a salad bowl when you have guests coming over and everybody's eating from that. <laughs> so this was an enormous toolkit and really, um, and, and, not not just coming from the the um, the disordered eating framework, but also um, understanding the health benefits, like understanding, like learning from Dr. Barnard, you know, at that at that jumpstart, a kickstart that you could reverse chronic disease, right? So then, you know, coming into the site of the, of people like Dr. Michael Greger and diving into that work, you know, and for me. Uh, we went, I think, directly from that jumpstart or kickstart, we went a few weeks forward into uh, another kickstart that Dr. Loomis, Jim Loomis, who's the medical director at, um, at the Barnard Center, was doing at American University. And it was there that I met Dr. Ruby Lathon, who is um, a... Um, a woman who, uh, uh, she's not a physician, she's a, she's a PhD. She um, had a very similar story with thyroid. She had much more severe 
um, much more aggressive kind of thyroid cancer. And she um, followed the plant-based diet and was able to reverse her thyroid disease. Now I had heard, you know, I had heard at the um, PCRM jumpstart about reversing, uh, you know, vascular disease, cardiac disease, that some cancers could be slowed down. But Ruby had this direct story and that that's what motivated me. And that's when I, um, you know, bargained with my physician back in, um, back in North Carolina to give me some time before the thyroid surgery. And so, so you had out. that surgery scheduled. I had that surgery out. Yeah, it, it was scheduled. We rescheduled. He gave me six months. I, I think he forced me to do a out-of-pocket test. It was a thyroid uh, um, genetics test to look at the, um, like, how aggressive is your risk for cancer? And it was very low. I had a very low, like, under 15% chance. So based on that test, which cost me, I believe, $5,000 out of my pocket, no insurance would pay for that. Um, he gave me six months and then, you know, I had Tati in the household and we were, you know, the dynamic duo of, she's like these unbelievable vegetable. She does the, it's, it's like a, a buffet of vegetables all the time, anytime, even now, like when she comes and visits, visits it's just huge grazing of vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we bring my husband on board. Uh, I guess we watched like what the health maybe was that yeah, already yeah, we, like, yeah. we were starting to like because we were starting to dabble into all this stuff because all of a sudden the world opened up and um, but I remember coming back to North Carolina after six months and going for my checkup going for you know going to what I thought would be the scheduling of the surgery and um, you know I was having the sonogram done they were preparing to do biopsy and the technician called the doctor in and they stood there and looked at my my results and then the doctor called another doctor in and I, <laughs> I'm thinking at this point you know this is it I'm screwed I'm I've, I've done bad here and so the room fills up there's like three or four of them in there and then they look at me and they say what, what have you been doing and I say I say what and it well it's a miracle a miracle has occurred and I, you know, my stomach, I remember my stomach was like, I just, my heart was in my stomach because I thought this is it. I've, I've done it. I, I should have had the surgery and it was just the exact opposite. And so they're telling me there's nothing. I don't have this multinodular thyroidism. These nodules that were throughout my entire neck for 15 years are gone. There's nothing. The whole thing is cleaned up. There's nothing. There. And I said, well, are we biopsying? There's nothing to biopsy. We can biopsy <laughs> tissue. So that was my own personal come to Jesus moment, you know, and, um, and I that think that must have been such a feeling. It, it was such a feeling. It was such a feeling. And it was, um, you know, it, it's one thing to hear stories. And it's another thing when you have your own experience. And I think that, you know, oftentimes, like, you know, I, I work, I volunteer with uh, plant powered Metro New York, which is a, you know, fantastic organization that helps people bridge, um, into, into, you know, eating a, a more health optimizing diet. And um, the people that come to us have often had, you know, they, they are suffering from truly debilitating um, or advanced stage chronic diseases. And they're working with their doctors to, um, to address that. And they, um, it's actually a, a group that is most, most easy to work with because, you know, they've been convinced and they want to do it. And so, um, 
you know, as a, as a, as a person who works with, as I work kind of like as a coach educator, it's, um, you know, it's like, you're not trying to sell anything to anyone. Like they know it, they've had their come to Jesus moments too. And that's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, um, it's a lot easier than dealing with your friends and family who are asking you, you know, Hey, you know, I'm really sick. How do I get my protein? How can I, can you help me? Right. Right. Um, so prior to going into the doctor's office, how had, how had you been feeling in your body? You know, had you lost weight? Did you, did you feel better? Did you feel any different? I, I did feel good. My weight was stable. My, um, my, um, my binge eating monster was quiet. I wasn't really mindful of that because I was so scared about my thyroid, but indeed I was kind of, it was a quiet time. It was, it was a super quiet time. And um, so I didn't feel like I was going to get bad news, but I, I guess, you know, I'm still young and I'm still, you know, I'm, I've always been super active. And, you know, when I had all these conditions, these health conditions, they were never enough to really stop me from doing what I was doing day to day. So I think that, you know, I just didn't know. I, I just, I was, I was stunned and I couldn't believe it. I remember, you know, calling Tati or maybe you were here, you might've been with me in North Carolina. You know, we, we just couldn't believe it that this, this, um, you know, it's, I know Tati hears this all the time at work. It's, it's not a magic pill, right? It's not magic. It's just the food. <laughs> but the doctors used the word miracle. Oh, they said it was a miracle. And I told them, of course, I told them that I was following a plant-based diet. I told them my story. They looked at each other and nodded and, um, you know, kind of ushered me out of the room and said, you know, come back in a year for your checkup. You're fine. And I said, and well, I don't I have to come back in like a month? Are we sure? And so, yeah. And I actually and remember, Ma, that, that moment so vividly because I remember just being on pins and needles, you know, and I remember you saying that you need to talk to me and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, like this is it, you know, and, um, and it was it, but it was a different it than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what about you, Tati, when you shifted how you were eating, how did things yeah. change for you and your body? So two weeks later, I got my period back and uh, <laughs> I've been a convert ever since. It was as simple as that. Um, I think. For me, you know, I found something that works. I found something that allows me to feel free about the way that I eat and that I find so much joy. And I, I love, I love to cook. I love to eat. And, um, and yeah, it's as simple as that. So how do you cook those vegetables? That sounds so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I like raw vegetables a lot. So like when I come visit my parents, uh, we'll go to the farmer's market and I'll just cut up bell peppers, broccoli, cucumber, whatever we have. Um, but I really enjoy, so my, um, but the topic of my dissertation is advanced glycation end products. And so one thing that I'm really passionate about is educating people about ways to better consume the food that they're eating. So yes, following a low-fat plant-based diet is great, but on top of that, what can you do to further augment your health? And one thing that is so important is the way that you cook your food. So like steaming vegetables versus, um, versus heating them in a way that's like dry heat, you know, so like grilling and, um, and the way that that affects your, your relative disease risk. So, um, so my preference when you're cooking veggies is always something like steaming or even microwaving in water, but um, yeah. Yeah, so you you really get specific with these, yeah, uh, yeah with yeah. this, yeah, information. Yeah, I, I I know I've I've become more aware of that too in my vegan journey, and it it's kind of a bummer in some ways because you yes. know roasted vegetables taste so good. Yeah. But I yeah. also recognize, you know, that they're one, you know, when I used to write, I don't really roast them anymore just for this reason. 
but you know, I did notice when I, when I roasted them, of course they roast down to about half, half the volume that they initially were. So you're losing all that water, increasing calorie density, you know, plus cooking at high heats. So yeah, yeah. I always tell people when I present on this topic, the best thing you can do to re- re- reduce your AGE load is just follow a low fat plant-based diet. You know, uh, we've done studies where we saw that uh, compared to people who eat animals, you can reduce your risk by about 80% by just following a low fat plant-based diet. You don't have to worry about the way that you cook. And then if on top of that, you want to kind of get specific, of course you can, but um, right, yeah. right. Right. It is funny. I know for me, just as, as time goes on, it's, you, you start learning more and then you want even better, you know, but it's, but it's good to know just that the basics can get you so far. Exactly. Yeah. The basics are, are truly enough. And, um, and then you can add on to it. It's like a cherry on top. Right. Right. So when did you start working for, um, PCRM? Yes, I've been working there about three years now. Um, I started as a clinical research uh, coordinator. So the first project that I worked on was a study looking at the utility of a plant-based diet for people living with type 1 diabetes. And this was kind of my passion project. It still is. Um, We're about to go to publication with this. So I'm looking forward to sharing that data soon. but so we, type uh, one diabetes, that's very in- interesting. So what, what have you found? Can you reveal some of the. Yeah. So uh, the, the uh, too long didn't read is a low fat plant-based diet is probably the best diet you could possibly follow. If you're living with type one diabetes, this was a, a really intense study. We had people wearing continuous glucose monitors, um, intake or tracking their intake of food every single day using the app chronometer. And, um, what we found was that the closer to less than 30 grams of fat per day that you could eat on a low fat plant-based diet, uh, the better your outcomes were. So we saw reductions of up to 85% in insulin use over 12 weeks, which is just. Wow. Wow. And these are people who are not producing insulin at all. So type one diabetes, your pancreas is fundamentally unable to produce insulin mandated for life. So you have to rely on exogenous insulin, but, um, What's really interesting about this study is that we're going to do offshoot studies, like looking at how the cost of medication use decreased as a function of following a a plant-based diet. And as we think about things like the rising cost of insulin, um, this is just, it's critical, you know? Amazing. Amazing. And so you're now um, in the process of obtaining a PhD in public health. Is that right? I am. So um, I'm at Loma Linda University uh, pursuing my doctorate in public health and preventive care. So my focus is on like, let's not talk about disease. Let's talk about how disease doesn't even need to start in the first place. And so uh, the place where I always begin is with lifestyle, you know, like how can we help people follow a better lifestyle um, so that those diseases again, don't emerge in the first place. And I think that's where uh, my experience with my mom has been so seminal in informing my opinion on that in conjunction with just uh, this cognizance of the importance of a multidisciplinary approach. So like one thing that my mom alluded to is this role as a as an educator and then also kind of a coach within the plant-based space. And it's one thing for me to do the research and show you the evidence. It's another thing to have someone hold your hand along the journey. Um, I don't think I could have transitioned to this way of eating as as easily and um, accessibly as I did were it not for my mom. And a lot of people don't have that support. And so I think one thing we need to have better discussions about in this space is how can we create platforms where people receive that support? Um, and Chrissy, I'd be curious to, to hear what you think about that and and what you think our, our role is as we come together to do this. Yeah, well, just off the cuff, I mean, I recognize the importance of the subject 
I don't, I don't have any quick answers. I don't have any quick answers. Yeah. I used to host a community group here in Nashville called vegan peace that was designed to be a support group for vegans. Um, more, more about the awareness piece than about the health piece. It wasn't a health focused group, but I, but I definitely do recognize that implementing it is is the challenge implementing changing how people eat that's that's often the sticking point because I, I heard it said at one of the vegan conferences I went to that there are a lot of people who are convinced of the why of veganism whether it's from a health perspective or an ethical perspective so quite a few people you know believe that yes this this makes sense and and I get the reasons we should do it but where they, where they stumble is on the how, you know, yeah. how, how do I do this? And so that's, that's really where it's at. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any quick answers on that. Um, well, yeah. one thing I just want to yeah, acknowledge um, is your book, Marrying Myself, and how in that book, you integrate these little examples of like, you know, ordering coffee in a coffee shop and like, <laughs> you know, asking for plant milk instead of cow milk. And, um, and I think, things like that are so important in breaking down the walls, you know, like having this pr be present in literature. And I, I just, I like, I truly found that so endearing as I was reading your book and um, cause you just don't see it, you know, it's like you see characters go to coffee shops or go out to dinner and like eat steak, you know, and, and your book makes a point of, um, of elucidating these vegan options and, and not having it be a thing. So. I, I agree too. I, I love that. And I, I remember when I was reading that passage, I think I told you, Chrissy, at the time, I just was like grinning from ear to ear. I was so happy. It was endearing. It's it's so meaningful. It's you know that that you're um you know that that these are the things that we're all going through together as we yeah. navigate this 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 thing that, you know, but 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 forces truly forces like the vegan posse, like this is an opportunity to speak to people, right? To reach people. And I think one of the neatest things about this time right now is that um, there's there's a lot of, you know, especially since the pandemic, right? Like everything kind of went online. And, you know, Chef AJ has her huge, fabulous over 40 community. I mean, that is a robust community of people coming together to support each other for health reasons for weight loss, for reversal of chronic disease. So people are like learning from each other and telling stories about this thing, this vegan whole food plant-based diet that is the, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. I just found out, um, so I was talking about my celiac disease. And um, when I had an endoscopy done recently, the endoscopy is like the, 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 the gold standard for really measuring your celiac disease. I don't have celiac disease. <laughs> I have no sign of celiac disease. And like, I didn't at the time, I didn't even, you know, given everything I know, again, I don't know how I couldn't, this, this the light wouldn't immediately go off that it's the food, but I just thought, oh, maybe all those other tests were wrong. That's what I thought. And it wasn't until I was talking to, um, I know you recently interviewed Mike Young. Mike yes. Young was telling me about research that T. Colin Campbell is doing right now about the reversal of celiac disease. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, maybe I actually, I, I guess I, and I told him my experience. He said, you reverse celiac disease. You need to contact him. You need to give him all your health data. Let him look at it. I mean, so Amazing. You know, here I am. I'm a seasoned expert. I am helping out in the community, you know, doing this every day. And even I, <laughs> 
<laughs> right. You're thinking, oh, the test was wrong, not, was not changed. Yeah. yeah. Right. Not, not yeah. that it was the diet. Like, how could it be the diet? And it's right. the diet. It's the diet, and it's never. And um, if I can insert quickly the story of our mama, our grandma, who came. Yes, please. Yeah. It came down here with us from the north with her knapsack three years ago, moved into our household and became a vegan because she was forced to become a vegan. And so um, she had been taking hypertension medication since her 40s, early 40s. Um, and um, so in the course of about a year and a half, she lost 60 pounds. Now, again, eating a lot of foods that were particularly triggering for me, like my household became very junk food vegan-y once we were all, we had three generations, you know, in the height of the pandemic living together. Um, so despite all the vegetables that Tati was cutting up, Tad was ordering Beyond Burgers, you know. So um, so grandma lost 60 pounds. Her cholesterol went from in the 300s to 125. She is off every single medication. She has been taking medication since she was 40 for hypertension. Recently, she was taking like warfare and like blood thinners, you name it, all kinds of cardiac stuff. It's all gone. It's all gone. And that's, you know, that's the story of it's never, it's never too late. It's never too late. She's nine, she just turned 91. And, um, you know, her health is not perfect. She has some issues with her intravascular system, which is her, her spine, her bones. Those are, that's a harder fix, right? It's, it's vascular system can clean up super fast. Intravascular bone, it's slow, but, um, but she's, she's doing really well. So does she, does she still live with you? She is still living with us. She's, you know, she's really uh, just can't wait to get back to Manhattan, but um, she keeps, um, she keeps having little mishaps with um, her, um, like she had a little fall, she like broke her wrist and she broke, you know, her bones are, are, are 91 year old bones that were of course affected by um, hypertension for 40 years. And so that's a challenge. So she really, you know, she will probably stay on with us and we will, you know, I go back and forth to Manhattan a lot, you know, and, and as soon as she's up for the trip, we're going to take her and uh, spend some, we have a place up in New York um, in the mountains. And so, um, so we have to kind of change our nest a little bit, but, um, but she's, and she's mentally like unbelievable. She is, you know, again, a former academic and just is um, very, very, very professionally active still. So. Wow. And 60 pounds at 91. And not dieting, Chrissy, like that was the thing. Yeah. And it was really, it was kind of a, you know, fascinating for me to observe because I can't, you know, I can't eat that food right now. Like I, I can't eat, if I eat um, food that's just vegan food, you know, I have, um, I do notice, like now I notice my health very, very, uh, it, it's, I'm super sensitive. It's like the cleaner my diet became, the more sensitive I was to anything that's junk. And so I, um, you know, in this time that we were all together, you know, for, for a year or so through the pandemic, I, I did find myself eating uh, food that I wouldn't normally eat that was vegan food. And I did put a little weight on and, um, you know, I, um, I had like an enormous, like, um, uh, just like aches and pains, aches mm -hmm. and pains that, and that's what keeps me really on track with not, because that junk food is always there. And it's, um, it's really, you know, it's hard. It's like Chef AJ says, it's, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. I can avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. But my brain is pinging to that croissant. And at some point 
I'm going to go eat the croissant. And then I'm going to wake up in the morning and I, you know, I feel like I'm 107. So, um, so it keeps me, you know, it keeps me on track. But um, I mean, the, the knowing that, that I will feel a whole lot better, my health will be a whole lot better if I avoid that stuff is, um, right. it's a powerful tool. It's so powerful. And that's what I, back when I was doing more health coaching, that's what I used to tell my clients is that once you get a taste for yourself of how much better you can yeah. feel, that's what will motivate you. But until you get that, you know, kind of glimmer of insight into how powerful this change can be, you know, it, it's tough to motivate because most people I feel like have this vague concept that, oh yes, you know, eating healthy would be better. You know, I'd, I'd probably feel better and be healthier if I ate better, but people don't recognize, you know, just how profound those changes can be, you know, like reversing the celiac and your, your miracle in the doctor's office and Tati, your, your cycle just in two weeks, just magically becoming completely normal. <laughs> and, you know, and that's how quick it is. Like we, with PPM New York, you know, we, we sit in with Eric Adams a lot, you know, and his story of um, diabetes. He's the mayor of New York. He's the mayor. He's our loving mayor. And he, you know, he does a lot with PPM New York. He's a huge advocate for, um, you know, he's done changes in the New York City school systems with uh, making sure that there are um, vegan options, plant-based options at lunch, bringing the plant milks in now in every school, unbelievable stuff happening with New York City um, hospitals. And, um, but Eric, like, and I had, you know, worked, you know, not with him, but I mean, you know, I was really aware of him in our meetings and things. I didn't realize that he had uh, regained his eyesight in three weeks after going vegan three weeks. So he was blind. He was, he was, he was going through like diabetic, like the, diabetic. the, the wow. neuropathy. yeah, three weeks. So that like stories like that are just, um, you know, they, they're just in abundance. And I know Tati works, you know, in her job, it is every single day. is kind of like a story about a miracle or a, or a magical event that has occurred. And, um, you know, I think, and Tati and I were talking about this, you know, um, as we were chatting about this podcast, you know, the, um, as, as in my, in my cohort, my age group, I see so much um, really, really unfortunate health. Like in my, in my dear, my closest friends, my closest family, I see these turbocharged events happening, um, you know, especially since the pandemic. So it's like, you know, in conjunction with whatever we've been through with getting COVID or getting vaccines or whatever, whatever has happened to us, we are a sicker and sicker population. And um, I lost, uh, from my um, bridal party, I had four girls. I lost two girls this past year from my bridal party um, who passed away. For, uh, one, from, one, from, one in New York, actually, from type 2 diabetes that we, we could, I could not get her physician. Her endocrinologist would not look at any of the work that we had at PPM New York, would not look at anything from PCRM. It was not for her. Um, you know, so you, you see things like this happening and, um, and more importantly, you know, we just have had, I think Doug Lyle was just talking about this, um, in, um, uh, in the last Living Wisdom Library about the, um, life expectancy now for young people, like our children, life expectancy is less than for us. And that's, um, and that's a standard thing in the Western, in the Western world. And that's, that's what we need to change. 
you know, that can be changed like that, you know, it, it's like Will Tuttle says in the World Peace Guide, if this could just happen, imagine what, what the world would look like, what our planet could look like. It could happen overnight, but but it's right, not. Right, right. And that's, that's, that's what I love about it, but it's also what's challenging about it, you know, because on the one hand, what I love about veganism and the fact that we could all make this change, you know, in the present moment, it doesn't require the government to do anything, doesn't require, right. you know, the corporations to do anything. It just requires us to, us individuals to decide. And yet at the moment, everything in our society is conspiring against people being healthy. Um, so Tati, I'm curious, you know, you're on the path to a degree in public health, which was a degree that I, I also strongly considered. Um, but quite honestly, I was, I was really just disillusioned with the whole concept of public health, um, over the past three years. And I decided to instead do a degree in clinical mental health counseling and become, become a therapist. But I'm, I'm curious what, how do you see, like, how do you see the big picture changing for health in a positive way? Like what, what sorts of things can be implemented, you know, without, without interfering with personal freedom to a problematic extent? You know, I, I'm just curious what your thoughts on that yeah. subject are. That's a really good question, Chrissy. And I, I think I see that change as a very incremental one, you know, because I think if you push people too hard, um, you can get a lot of like, what I, I am so passionate about the work that I get to do, because I, I view it as a lifestyle change, I would rather have you slowly adjust to following a live fat plant based diet, than go all in and not have it be sustainable. So one thing that we do in our studies is say, you know, we're working with a right now a cohort in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, of individuals living with type two diabetes. And so one thing that our team did prior to implementing this study is say, hey, how do we optimize people's experience as they transition to a plant-based diet? So of course, me as a public health professional, I can do the research, I can tell you what the research says, but it, it takes other, other individuals to kind of transmute that knowledge into something that's more practical. So we partner, for example, with Food for Life instructors on the ground who are normal people who are also passionate about following this way of eating and know the grocery stores there and can say, hey, you know, like, so you, we need to follow this diet. What does that look like in the grocery store? So we can go on a grocery store tour and like, where do you find nutritional yeast? What about PB2? These foods that are amazingly delicious that you wouldn't necessarily know about if you had not been following the diet for a long time. And then it's hard for me as someone who's kind of like above the ground to, to necessarily help an individual transition into. Um, so again, you know, for me, it's all about a multidisciplinary approach. I can't do this alone. I don't think anyone could do this alone. And um, I see my job as doing the research, publishing the research, and um, and then I, I lean on other people to take that information and and implement it in a way that's super accessible. And and again, Chrissy, I, I see like what you did in in your book, marrying myself, as so as so seminal to doing that because it's it's just again you know breaking down these little barriers that exist, you know, making it a little bit easier for people to to follow a low fat plant based diet or a vegan diet. So. Well, thank you so much for, for saying that and for mentioning yeah. my book. Yeah. It, it really is important to me to normalize veganism, exactly. you know, through, through the arts and however else we can do it. And I, I think I am totally with you on the multidisciplinary approach because I, I, I do think that all approaches to <laughs> vegan advocacy have, have merit, you know, and they all, 
yield results, maybe not immediately, but you know, they, they have an impact, you know, for instance, the direct activism that groups like direct action everywhere do, you know, some, some people find it objectionable because it's very in your face and their slogan is, you know, they'll, they'll go into food courts with, with signs, you know, it's not food, it's violence. And I've, I've been to some of their um, rallies and their, their activism events um, and, and again, you know, some people think that, oh, that's going to turn people off. But I, but I also feel like every, everything is necessary and it's, it's tough to know what will, what will stick with people. And just because something doesn't yield results immediately doesn't mean it doesn't, it doesn't have an impact. Exactly. I, I see this as a long game. You know, you look at Dean Ornish, he published research 20 and more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And, um, and it's still not integrated properly into clinical practice. And um, right, right. Job is just to continue to fight the fight because the system we're up against is, it's very strong. Um, so do you do you think that you, you know, in your in your field and armed with this doctorate that you'll that you'll, you know, have in the near future, I'm not sure what your timeline is, but do you do you think you'll be able to change that? I mean, yeah, I wake up every day um, with the belief that what I'm doing is making a difference. And um, I see it, you know, it's sometimes it can be very intimidating to look at the system and look at clinical practice guidelines and recognize that, you know, lifestyle interventions, for example, in type one diabetes are not even really talked about, you know, it's diet is something that is still heavily debated when it comes to managing disease. And, and that can be intimidating, frustrating. Um, but I also I am fortunate enough to get to work every single day with study participants. And I see the little changes that occur as a function of them following this way of life, you know, like, a, you know, a, a gentleman who can play football with his grandkids again. And that's, that's enough, you know, and it's, it's recognizing that those little changes, those little drops in the bucket will um, transmute into bigger ones. And, um, and again, it's multidisciplinary. So it's, it's in conjunction with these professionals who are dedicated to to advocating for this lifestyle. It's the people on the ground who are actually experiencing the benefits of it too. And, and talking about it, you know, like a study participant going to a barbecue and saying, Hey, you know, like last week was the first time I could play, uh, you know, football with my grandson and, and someone being curious about that and asking questions. And um, yeah, it's, it's little, little incremental again, changes that. Yeah, we'll leave yeah that makes total sense. And what I love about the two of you is that you kind of, you you play in a few different realms you know you're you're the public health professional but you're also the people who you know can can share those personal stories about how their health has changed and That's you know you're I'm on the ground in the sense that you you've been a living example of veganism for a long long time so just by default and you know i'm sure you've done a lot of talking about it and you know recipe sharing and vegetable sharing with people <laughs> And it's so important, as you say, it's like the, the su support is everything. You know, that's how we um, we can move forward. It's how we navigate through this tough stuff. And, you know, I see so much change happening. I see uh, young people, you know, like Tati's out in California now. My, my you know son was out there for a month and he was saying, oh, you know, in California, it's really difficult to find a, a restaurant that's not vegan. 
right? Like I love to hear that. That's so exciting. Was he you looking know? for one? <laughs> well, he's with us, so he's staying with a friend who is um, who's not vegan, and so they were trying to find some place that could accommodate whatever it is that he wanted to eat, but they couldn't, so they had to go to the vegan restaurant. Right? <laughs> That's hilarious! And wow. Really cute. And you know, and New York is like that too. Um, it, it's you know, there's just so many vegan options. I mean, it's like the the I used to just pine. My weak spot was like a, a real old fashioned like from a kind of ghetto pizza joint slice of pizza you couldn't get that that you know in, in a vegan form but now you can and even upstate in new york up in the catskills where we have this little cottage um there is this place called fogwood and fig started by a guy from from santa barbara and his partner and it's vegan and it's oh. It's really popular. Like those people upstate in New York, it's not just like the weekenders, like the locals are going there. So oh, I just like, cool. love to see that. And I, you know, I always think of like, you know, what Doug says about, Doug Lyle says about like, don't, don't make a big, uh, what is it? Don't make a big change if you can make a little change. Yeah. And don't, don't make a big so decision when a small decision. A small decision. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of, I kind of take that to mean, to, I, it encourages me to like all these just little things you do. Like I'm always looking, you want to see the big change, like, gosh, cause you know, like, yeah, if the, if the planet went vegan tomorrow, what bliss we would all experience. But, but this work that we're all doing on the ground is, is, um, you know, it's little steps. But it's, you know, in, in little ways, we all come together, whether it's through podcasts or, or literature or research or just, you know, me telling my life story to anyone who will listen. And one person might be, uh, you know, like my mom's friend, like my mother telling her story to her friend who is also 90 and going blind. And she's thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll just run an experiment, you know, like this language that we're learning through, yes. you know, through the evolutionary psychology field of just run a little experiment. Like, don't be scared, just try it. Like I say right. that to everyone, it's much less um, terrifying to the public than when you say, oh, you have to go vegan, right? So right. just run an experiment. Right. And so there's hope. Hope there's, is on the yeah. Yeah. And, and you're both absolutely right. Just, you know, these little changes, these little decisions, I mean, they're really how life happens anyway. You know, life doesn't happen all at once. Life happens moment by moment by moment. You know, it's not this. It can be, you know, it can be so hard, I think, as a vegan. Like, I think a lot of times, and I, and I think we've talked about this in our women's groups, you know, there's this like, you know, we get low, we get down, we get discouraged, you know, and, um, and, and it's hard work and it feels frustrating. And um, so finding little support here and there, even amongst us old timers, you know, I was listening to your, your, uh, one of your posses with the, um, the, the, uh, the German fellow, the, 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 the rec recording engineer who. Oh, Adi. Yeah. He lives in Poland. Yes. I yes. loved Adi. I loved his story. I me loved too. Him. Oh just, yeah. It gave me hope. And I realized, you know, I was hearing this from Audi. I was Adi and, you know, this idea of serendipitous, like look for the serendipitous things, like stop, like, um, you know, how he talked about how he had just really, been doing too much for everyone and he wanted to like there's benefit in being helpful but not when it comes at a cost to you right so how can you do the most you can the best you can and be good to yourself as well that's something i sit with and i think about and um 
So, you know, serendipity, it stayed with me. It stayed, you know, you used the word when you were talking about your, your um, not Madison Square Garden, Times Square experience. And, you know, and then Brenda. Grand Hinton, Central. <laughs> Grand Central. Grand Central. <laughs> Grand Central. And Brenda, Brenda Hinton always talking about, you know, just staying curious, being excited, channeling joy. Like these things are really, you know, these are important for us if we're going to be this tribe that can move forward and um, right. meet, meet right. the challenges of, um, of hopefully better times ahead for, for at least for the animals. There's a lot of, you know, vegan, uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of changes going that are probably going to be disastrous once the corporate America takes over all our vegan options. They're not going to be healthier for us, but at least there's a shift. Right, right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, better, better for the non-human animals, but yeah. not necessarily not for, for us, the perhaps. Human at least, right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. better for the planet, better for the non-human animals, and that's something. Right, right, right. Well, this this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I've got just a couple more questions for you guys, although I could talk to you forever. I mean, just such a fast, fascinating individual stories that you both have. And the fact that you've been on this journey together as mother and daughter is just, it's just so touching and so, so inspiring and so beautiful. And I just love that you've been able to give that to each other. I mean, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, but one, one quick question I had for you, Zina, did you mention that your mother does not attribute her, her positive health changes to how she's eating? I, so it's not that she, it would be too strong to say that she does not attribute it to the eating, the, 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 the vegan diet. It's just that she is, you know, she's just a very old school. She just can't quite believe that, well, <laughs> you know, all I was doing, because she was never a meat eater per se. She was like, uh, she was an egg eater. You know, she was a super big egg eater, at least an egg a day. And, you know, now she just lives in the just egg product. She loves that stuff. You know, she can make her scramble, but so she can't quite believe that the egg could be that bad for you. And so, <laughs> so for her, you know, and I've showed her all of Dr. Greger's work on this, all of Neil Barner's work on this, you name it. Um, and then just like, just this week, I, I, I was talking to her about, um, I think Gregor, Gregor did a new video and he was just talking about the egg and the fat in the egg that was in, in the old chickens that we, you know, the, the ones that my mother had in the old country in her yard, those, those eggs were like three to 5% fat, like, like nasty fat. Now it's like, you know, these chickens in these conditions, the way they're raised, you're looking at same thing with every meat, like chicken, like why is chicken so bad for you? What, what's so bad about chicken? Well, it's almost all fat. It's not the chicken from the Stone Age village. And um, those kind of things like sit with her. Um, again, I think just coming from a, of a time of scarcity where like she just doesn't quite see eating animals as, and I shouldn't say that because I don't know. I know she loves her animals. So, um, but I'm not quite sure if she wouldn't turn away a nice piece of salmon if it came across her plate, you know, but, right. Um, right. but yeah, but she's getting it. And she like oftentimes loves to put up a fight to me because, you know, mothers and daughters were supposed to fight about stuff. <laughs> and I hear her, I do hear her talking to, um, you know, her friends who are, you know, largely kind of, you know, people with some background in education and, you know, have, have worldview that's, that's large. And, um, and then she'll, she'll, she'll talk about her vegan diet and she's proud of it. So, um, well, I think so it's yeah, so she's, she's doing the work. 
Yeah. yeah, I think this speaks to the magnitude of effect conferred by this programming that has just been like, you know, yes. shoved on our throats. And I was actually talking to my significant other and his family about this last night, but uh, talking about a study participant who we needed to take off medication. And, you know, this, this study participant is waking up every morning, living with type two diabetes and experiencing hypoglycemia. So low blood sugar, so dizziness, you know, it fainted once and, and calling the endocrinologist and saying, Hey, we really need to adjust this guy's medication. And the endocrinologist being so um, just disagreeable when it came to this, you know, it was like, no, it can't possibly be the medication. It's gotta be the diet. What are you mm -hmm. like when you eat? Like, you know, it's too many carbohydrates, this, that, the other thing. And, um, and, and this guy, I mean, he, yeah. he had to be hospitalized because he woke up ah. one morning and passed out and, and they adjusted his medication. And the endocrinologist called us last week and said, you know, I'm sorry, I have never seen this happen in my 40 years of clinical practice, I've never taken someone off medications before. Mm -hmm. It's always just, you continue to augment. And it, again, like it just speaks to like, this is the programming that we are all, um, just in, is ingrained in all of us. You know, it's, um, it's you're just gonna get worse and where you're gonna get sicker and sicker as you get older. These foods like milk, eggs, you know, are like fundamental components yes. of diet. And and yeah, it's, it's a challenge to think about how you, um, how you take that down. Yeah. I'm so That's glad you brought that up. That is so, and I've heard Chrissy speak of this so many times yeah. before too. It is programming. We are programmed. Exactly. You know, we, even when we, when we, you know, like when I had my experience with the, um, the celiac disease, I was programmed to think it couldn't be, it couldn't be me, right? It had to be like, there's, it, we are heavily, <laughs> it's, it is, it, that is a superior challenge. And it is, um, it is, you know, it, the system is not, going to make it easier for any of us to move through it, you know, especially in, in times to come. I think it will probably, we will face challenges that we can't even imagine, but um, but we are also getting sicker as a nation, right? We know that our nation is is um, in trouble. And so, you know, my hope is that that, I don't know, people become more more interested in, wow, gosh, maybe, maybe I could focus on lifestyle medicine. Maybe I would get better. Maybe I wouldn't worry so much about COVID, right? If I didn't have all these comorbidities, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a long, it's going to be a long road ahead. So it's a, yeah, hope. it's a long road, but it's, it's also, it's also so empowering. And I think Tati, you alluded yeah. to this in your, you know, experience with the, with the doctors, just, you know, just the fact that there is a sense of autonomy and just empowerment that I personally feel over my own body and my own health that I just am so grateful for, because I know, I know most people don't, don't have that, you know, they could, and they can, you know, if, if they try, as you said, Zena, if they just run an experiment and right, right. try going a whole food plant-based for I think, I think a little while, but yeah, it is, it's something that I wake up with and, you know, many, many, many a day, you know, especially when life gets a little bit, you know, challenging or tricky and I'm going through tough stuff. There's so many things I can be sad about or you know feel like i haven't done a good enough job you know um this isn't one of them this is the thing that really springs joy like deep deep down inside like i can be overwhelmed at times with just this the the gratitude for for this one thing for this being vegan and that's um like to share that because we need it's childlike it's like a childlike feeling that joy that when you're little and you go out on the swing set and you're just so happy and it's just bliss how often do we feel that as adults it's right. tricky it's a tricky right. thing this, this does it for me and that 
that's where the serendipity lies. That's where the hope lies in you and in you and in, and in just the future going forward. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully put Zina. Yes. I, I resonate with that completely. All right, ladies. Well, um, we'll wrap it up, but the final question I've got for you, which I'm sure you've already anticipated, but, um, I'll ask each one of you, is there a particular word that for you sums up what being vegan is all about? And I'll let you duke it out as to who goes first. Ma, you want to kick us off? <laughs> okay, I'll kick it off. So yeah, I thought about this because I've listened to the posse. And so gratitude always stuck with me. But then as I came here to you and in talking, I realized it was really, it is gratitude, but it's it's that never having to say you're sorry, that remorselessness, like that feeling of here's one thing that... Um, that feels so good, that feels like you're doing the ethical thing, that feels like you're doing um, just, not just for my happiness, but for the happiness of all those around me. It's, it's you know, that's a profound feeling of planet, of animals, of people. And um, so, yeah. Love it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> totally get it. Oh, excellence. Like in, in one thing, I can have excellence in my action. This is it. In graduate school, we had this word called eudaimonia, you know, which is the, uh, the Greek, um, it goes back to Aristotle, Socrates, like search for the eudaimonia in life. In other words, virtue, right? And mm -hmm. that's kind of it. That's, that's, and it sounds, right. you know, but, but really it's um, just what, what can we do to uh, take responsibility and, um, I feel, feel good about everything we do. Right. No, I, I, I feel totally the same way because yeah, often, you know, there are areas of my life or situations where I have all this self doubt and, you know, shame or don't feel, you know, could have done better or just don't feel fantastic about, or, you know, just whatever. But like, just as you described this aspect of my life, I feel so good about, you know, I can, I can completely just, just feel content and satisfaction in that. So love it, Zena. Thank you for sharing that. Tati, you've had some time to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I think it's just autonomy. It's as simple as that. You know, it's it's autonomy in yourself. You know, it's it's autonomy for the animals, um, respecting everyone's capacity to make their own decisions and not infringe upon those decisions. And and yeah, the liberty that comes from that. So perfect. Perfect. Again, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, ladies. Well, it's been such a joy having you both on together, you know, as, as a duo and also as individuals, um, you've both got such fascinating, inspiring stories and congratulations on all that you've done. Uh, congratulations on all that you will do. And, um, we close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all of the suffering animals, human and non-human who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So Zina and Tati, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell.
Thank you, ladies. And thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true. Thank you, Chrissy. <laughs>